Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Motive and Method. I'm Dr. Xanthi Mallet. And I'm Tim Watson Munro. We wanted to do a wrap for the year of 2023 and talk about some of the big cases that we've looked at and also some of the cases we are looking forward to talking about and thinking about that we know are coming up in 2024. Obviously, there's going to be a lot that we can't predict, but some things we are expecting. So it's been a big year for crime, or it's generally a big year for crime, but there are some cases that we really, really can't go past. The first one that I think we have to start with is the case of Kathleen Folbig. Now, for any of you who've been living under rocks, you may not know that Kathleen Folbig was found guilty of murdering three of her children and the manslaughter of a fourth, and the children all died between 1989 and 1999. Now, Kathleen spent 20 years in prison fighting these charges. She's always maintained her innocence. We had a great interview, didn't we, Tim, with Tracy Chapman, Kath's best friend, on this issue earlier this year. She Um, was remarkable. It was before all these recent developments occurred, mm -hmm. and we were living with some degree of optimism about the outcome. We were. We'd had the inquiry, but we were waiting on the results of that most recent inquiry to see what would happen. For those of you who didn't watch it, I watched it avidly. It was live streamed. And the outcome of the most recent inquiry in 2023 was that even the director of public prosecutions acknowledged that there was reasonable doubt. Now, Tim and I have been talking about the Kathleen Folby case for years now. I published on it in 20. Uh, 2014, saying there was reasonable doubt, but it's taken a little while for the legal system to catch up. The big change that saw Kath eventually pardoned earlier this year was the fact that science had caught up and the scientific evidence illustrated that at least two of the children, Sarah and Laura, died of natural causes. And that was really hard for the justice system to manage because now the science was saying there's certainly a major problem here. So the upshot of that inquiry was that she was pardoned and released earlier this year but that wasn't the end of the story it was only on the 14th of December that the case had been heard again in the court of criminal appeal and those convictions were quashed and that was an extraordinarily fast process wasn't it Tim I was amazed it got to the court of criminal appeal this year Uh, look I thought there was a strong imperative to get it resolved this side of Christmas she was released from custody earlier this year. June, I think. Given what she's been through, 20 years of torture and hell, psychological trauma, full marks for bringing it to a head this side of Christmas. And I wasn't that surprised. I thought once they'd made the decision, it was really a matter of putting the dots together and coming up with the basis for what they've done. A fantastic outcome for her and a fantastic outcome for people like Tracy and a lot of People have supported her over the years, but thank goodness for science. Thank goodness for people like you, Zanth, who have a strong scientific background, who understand genetics and all the rest of it, because if it wasn't for this, she'd still be in jail. 
She would, and that is my big problem with this case. Fantastic result for Kath and Tracy and all the supporters. But my issue here, and I think what it's really illustrated, is that the legal system, loving finality as it does, is glacial in its pace of change. And even in the face of overwhelming scientific evidence, it still took a couple of years for that case to be brought forward, for it to be for the pardon to occur, and then eventually for the conviction to be overturned. So I think it really highlights a much larger problem in our justice system that we have to tackle going forward. Nobody wants to see another woman in prison for 20 years. I think you've suggested and others have suggested there needs to be a fast-track separate review process. So if there's some doubt about the conviction, whether it's safe or not, if new evidence comes to light, as it has in Kath's case, then this should be expedited because people shouldn't spend one more day in jail if they're innocent. Correct. Um, and I would certainly love to see an independent criminal case review commission with associated law reform to help that function that would help prevent such egregious miscarriages of justice happening or when they do happen, a, a right to reply for the person who has potentially been wrongfully convicted. So that's certainly what the big push is for now. So Cass case may be the impetus for that, which would be a fantastic legacy for such an awful situation for something positive to come out of that. Well, I think the next big push is going to be the one for compensation. Absolutely. And there's yep. been a lot of chatter around this. There's no legal obligation, as I understand it, for the New South Wales government to give her one cent in compensation, but morality, ethics and compassion would suggest they need to have a long, hard look at this. 20 years of your life, the best years of your life, a woman whose four children died and she went to jail and was just pilloried and vilified for all that time. How can you put a price on that? Well, you can't. You absolutely can't. And you're right, there is no rule in New South Wales to say that she has a right to any compensation. There actually is in the ACT, um, mm. but there isn't in any other state or territory in Australia, which again, I think is something that needs to be looked at. So it's entirely at the discretion of the Attorney General. It's most likely that he will grant what is known as an ex gratia payment, which is basically, it's a payment which the government can make, it's up to them how much they make, and they make that without taking any responsibility for the wrongful conviction. So it's a bit like saying, yes, we recognise that, that you've been wrongfully convicted, but we're not actually accepting responsibility for that. So that might be a slight dissatisfaction, given that the evidence never stacked up, to my mind, beyond reasonable doubt. And certainly the government and the AG, previous AG dragged their heels in getting this sorted but that is what I'm expecting, an ex gratia payment. And I would not be surprised at all if it's upwards of 10 million and perhaps even closer to 20. But how, as you say, how do you compensate somebody for 20 years of their life, all the memories she's not got, all the things she's missed out on, all the relationships she's not oh. had, and well, ultimately the death of four of her children? And may I add to that, beyond the memories she hasn't had, the memories she's left with, the memories of trauma, the memories of being in jail, not being believed. We've discussed this before. The impact on women who go to jail or men who kill children, the way that they are dealt with by their fellow inmates is something out of Dante's Inferno. It's something horrible. It's not just not it's not just the life she didn't live, it's the life that she did live and the traumas associated with that. And look, I've not met Kath, I can't speak about what she's going through, but in general principles, 
anyone who goes to jail that period of time come out very traumatised. So mm. That needs to be factored into the equation as well. Yep, the psychological trauma, absolutely. It's going to be a long journey for Kath now going forward. So whilst to in the public's mind the case is over, the convictions have been quashed, in, in her world and those who've supported her, this is a brave new world for Kath. She's going to have to learn to live on the outside. She's going to have to develop her independence. But yeah, it's going to be a very long road for her. And ultimately, I hope that compensation payment is huge to make up for some of the things she's lost and some of the traumas that she's experienced. I guess yes. that leads us quite nicely to the next case that I wanted to talk about. Now, this didn't. This is a case that we need to watch for next year, that of Kelly Lane. Now, Kelly Lane has also been found guilty of murdering her daughter, Tegan. She's currently in prison serving out the remainder of her sentence before she is eligible for parole. She's eligible for parole in May 2024. Now, the reason that this case is particularly interesting is because it, she will be the first individual who's come up against New South Wales new nobody, no parole laws, which were brought in the wake of Chris Dawson's successful conviction for murdering his wife, Lynette Dawson, where, again, there is no body. This basically means that unless somebody gives up where they bury the body, they can't have, they can't actually access that parole period. This would mean that Kelly would remain in prison for a further five years. Now, this particular, I think this case is going to be difficult for the authorities to deal with because in the, since Folbig has, the convictions have been overturned, to my mind, there's always been doubt in Kelly Lane's case too. There's nobody, no evidence, no witnesses and no you've, motive. You've consistently said that. And it's going to be an amazing test case for the Dawson sequelae, isn't it? It is. I mean, I mean, you can understand in some ways the spirit behind no body, no parole. But this is a very different sort of case. It's uh, not even a strong circumstantial case, in my view. It's so an extremely weak it? case. Mm. Absolutely. It was not designed for cases like Kelly Lane, but ultimately she's going to be the first person caught up in it. But given the backdrop of Kathleen Folbig and what's happened this year, and maybe some of the changes that are coming about in the way we look at cases of women accused of murdering their children, and previously these women have been vilified, as you mentioned, and now we're looking at this potentially through the lens of wrongful convictions, then, yes, I think it's going to be an extremely interesting test case. So that's one that we will be talking about um, in May 2024. It's when a work in progress. Work in progress, one. absolutely. That's an interesting one to keep your eyes open for next year. Another case that really spent a lot of time, we've talked about it, it's been in the high-profile case this year, was the allegation of rape against Learman by Higgins earlier this year. I think we need to be very cautious here because obviously Bruce Learman was not found guilty of any crime. The trial was aborted due to jury misconduct earlier this year, you probably remember. And the DPP decided not to go ahead and re-prosecute because um, Ms Higgins was having some serious psychological issues at the time and it felt it would be too detrimental to her. So no charges will be brought against Bruce Learman in relation to the allegations of rape against Miss Higgins. But what I really wanted to talk about, because that defamation case is ongoing um, against various media outlets, is that trial by media. So what's your takeaway, Tim, on, on how you think the media has handled this case, what impact that's had, and what, what potential changes we might have to see 
going forward because of the media influence, both professional media and social media? Well, I think now that the media is on trial and it's been a fascinating defamation case. I make no comment about Lehman's guilt or innocence. I make no general comments about the trial. It's still technically, I'd imagine, subjudice, but certainly this case has shone a light on how the media operates. It's shone a light on the collegiate atmosphere, the state of virtue discussions before things go to air. And I've found all these revelations quite fascinating. I don't think the media's come out of this trial looking particularly rosy, frankly. Whatever the outcome will be, I think people are reassessing the reliability and validity and probably the ethics of the media in some ways without directly criticising anyone. But in terms of your question about trial by media, I think it's very problematic because we have a situation now where, in general principles, people can be accused by the media of crimes that they may or may not be guilty of, but they're crucified in the popular press, the mainstream media, social media, and then how do you actually get a fair hearing? It, it's really a difficult issue, isn't it? And I think it's something that government needs to look at. How do we control this conversation while the court is in play? And a lot of reputations have been ruined uh, by this process and people have been found to be innocent, but too bad, your reputation's gone. You can never fully resurrect it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a real problem when the media is basically acting as judge and jury in cases that are either before the courts or will never be before the courts. And then that's highly problematic. And I do think we need to look at moderating media activity, policing media activity to make sure that they aren't rogue. And not even just in this country. If you look at what's happened in the UK recently, Prince Harry has been suing some newspapers for breaches of privacy. I think the media overall is too powerful and doesn't necessarily take accountability for itself. And I think it needs to be held accountable when it crosses the line. So it's going to be interesting to see going forward, as a result of this defamation case, what are the bigger repercussions for how the media deals with allegations and where those boundaries need to be set ultimately and when but they've potentially gone too far? I think, too, what's come out of these hearings and others is that there's a woeful misunderstanding of how the criminal justice system works. Learman was criticised for not taking the stand, for example. He has the right to silence. It doesn't mean because he exercised that right that he's obfuscating or he's guilty. But a lot of people assumed because he didn't take the stand, he's an individual who is trying to hide his guilt in some way. As I say, I make no comment about his guilt or innocence, but there is certainly a lot of misunderstanding in the broader community about how this process works. And I, people want to offer comment. I think it should be informed comment. It shouldn't be based on emotions and armchair lawyering. I think that's yep. a big mistake. Yep, totally agree. So that's another one to watch the bigger picture there in 2024. Now, returning to big cases of 2023, we have to talk about Erin Patterson. Now, we have to be very cautious because Erin Patterson is allegedly... Um, responsible for the deaths of three people and the attempted murder of two others. So this is the mushroom deaths down in Victoria. Massive case from this year. Huge media interest, both nationally 
and internationally. So if you remember, we've done a podcast, we've done a couple of podcasts in this, haven't we? when it first broke back in July, Erin Patterson, just to remind our listeners, Erin Patterson had cooked a lunch for her ex-in-laws and her ex-uncle and aunt, so her ex-husband's family in essence. Simon Patterson, her ex-husband, was invited to the lunch but didn't attend. Now, very sadly, after that lunch at which a beef wellington was cooked... Of birth wellington. A buff Wellington, sorry, Tim. <laughs> uh, a buff Wellington was cooked. Three people died, and one gentleman was Ian Wilkinson was left very seriously unwell in hospital. He was very lucky to survive. We did think he was going to need a liver transplant, but fortunately, he's recovered sufficiently not to require that anymore because. The toxin was alleged by the police, and this is yet to be confirmed. Obviously, no court hearings have been heard, alleged to have been death cat mushrooms. This will all come out next year and be confirmed next year. Or the police have confirmed that so far, but I'm still being very cautious, obviously, before the courts. We know that the results of death cat mushroom toxin are that the organs, in essence, shut down. It only remains in your body for about two days after ingestion, but the damage is already done and the vast majority of people will die as a result. So that was very sadly the case back in July. Erin Patterson was a suspect, was named as a suspect by the police. And in November 2023, she was arrested, her house was searched, and she was charged with three counts of murder and five counts of attempted murder. Now, that was when we did our update, wasn't it, Tim? Because we were a little surprised by the five counts of attempted murder, but it transpired that the police were alleging that one of those relates to Ian Wilkinson for that lunch, one Simon Patterson, we're assuming for the lunch, and the other three relate to previous attempts on Simon Patterson's life. And that was the interesting thing going back allegedly a couple of years. So it's going to be extremely interesting in court next year to see what evidence the police have to support those attempted murder charges particularly. I suspect this is a case with an exceptionally long tail. And you've got multiple counts of, that are alleged over a period of time, whether you have separate trials for each one. Who knows? It's a work in progress, but it'll be a, a bit like the rhyme of the ancient mariner, I suspect. And then depending on the uh, outcome of the uh, trial, trials, however many they may be, there might be an appeals process. So it's fascinating. It's not one we can really discuss until that's all resolved. But mm -hmm. in terms of the media, again, it's certainly raised a lot of global interest, this case. Huge, huge and, case, yeah. Uh, I wondered about that. I think it's all about medieval alleged poisoning and all that sort of stuff. But look, she may be innocent. I, I don't form a view about her guilt or innocence or not. She's entitled to a fair trial. But... Uh, it fascinated me beyond what's alleged, the almost prurient interest of the media on a global scale about this case. Yep, absolutely. So that is going to be, again, one to watch in 2024. There will be the first court hearings, hearings early in 2024, and we may get some more information then. Very little has been released so far, but it is certainly one we will be watching with interest. And sadly, I guess that brings us around to, to one of the big issues that we wanted to talk about from this year that has spread the entire year rather than a particular case. And this is the number of women dying at the hands of partners or ex-partners. 
And I looked up the data, and as of the 20th of the 12th, 2023, according to Counting Dead Women Australia, who monitors this, 61 women had been killed by a partner or ex-partner so far this year. What are we into? Week 50. Yeah. Right? We haven't reached week 52 yet. More than one a week. And, of course, that statistic doesn't speak to near misses, domestic violence, emotional abuse. It just seems to go on. It's endemic. It's everywhere and it, it on a even, daily basis. It feels like it's even worse this year. I think, I may be wrong, but I think it was 57 women last year. And obviously the number is horrendous. However, one is too many. But we just seem to be having a particular scourge this year. And I don't know why that is. But um, obviously we talked about this in relation to Lily James, who died on the 25th of October 2023. She was the young water polo coach who in she worked at St Andrew's Cathedral School in Sydney and she was murdered by her ex-partner. They'd only dated for a few weeks. He was also a colleague at the school, Paul Thyssen, who then suicided at the Gap, if you remember, and his body was found on the 27th of October 2023. And this was a brutal crime. Paul Thyssen attended the school when he knew Lily James would be there dropping off some equipment after a water polo match. He knew she'd be on her own. It was premeditated. He'd hired a car. He took a hammer with him. He then sent her father a message, basically attempting for some reason to get him to the school. And then he went to the gap in Sydney in Vaucluse and suicided. So this really started that national conversation again, didn't it? It's like, what is happening in Australia? Why are these men murdering their partners and ex-partners? And ultimately, how do we stop it? I think it's been a national conversation for a very long time. As you point out, women have been murdered indiscriminately all the time by people, men they know. Why it's been more prevalent this year, who knows? I, I think I have a theory about the impact of COVID, isolation, lockdowns, economic duress, fragile egos, glass jaws, men who need to control, feeling that the rest of the universe is beyond their control. And then when they have a partner or a lover who says, look, I've had enough if I'm leaving, which as we've discussed is always the most dangerous time when you're about to leave or when you've just after left, after you've left, they need to assert themselves and the devil may care. They'll go out and kill people just to make a point. It's very troubling. I, we've also discussed the role of popular media, social media in these situations, role modelling, and it doesn't seem to be going away. I think the other thing that attaches itself to COVID and its sequelae is an escalation in substance use, people resorting to alcohol, people being locked in homes for a long time, not able to get out. So whatever internecine tensions may have existed in a relationship beforehand, they were amplified by that process. And there's a lot of illicit drugs in the community now. We talked about that a little bit also, but Sydney's awash with cocaine and ice. And so these kind of substances impact people's cognition in terms of impulse control, consequential thinking, and can lower the threshold for tolerance so they become very angry. It's multifactorial and the trend is a very troubling one. It is, and I really hope that 2024 sees some real change. We need better education programs. We need to start talking to boys differently. We've seen some issues with that 
in that there were some of the responses from the headmaster at the school and the way that he spoke about Paul Thyssen, ultimately the offender, was highly problematic. And we talked about that in our, in our podcast, didn't we? He was the headmaster at a different school who had known the student at St Andrews. That's I correct, think. thank you. Yeah. He, he'd moved on to Shaw, a GPS school, and yeah, he was widely castigated and pilloried for those comments. Quite rightly so. And I think those kind of conversations can, we really need to start, we need to start making changes. And it's all very well saying that, but the, there has to be a better way because 61 women so far this year is 61 too many. So I hope that the conversation will continue in 2024 and we start looking at, education programs and role modeling that actually starts to change thought patterns in much younger boys and therefore we will start to see the flow-on effects in young men. Could I add to that we are what four days from Christmas and I recall years ago when I worked in the prison system the prison muster would almost double over the Christmas period because of tension, aggression, feeling inadequate, not able to buy toys for the kids and that sort of stuff. I do a lot of assessment work, but I don't work in the family court by choice. But I know a lot of family lawyers who say at this time of year, they are run off their feet because there's escalating tensions over access on Christmas Day and so on. So again, it's a peak danger period for women this time of year. And I'm concerned about this year particularly, especially as we go into that happy season where families are spending a lot of time together. You've got all those pressures, alcohol gets mixed in there. And ultimately, we've got the cost of living crisis this year, which will be putting added pressure on families. And we know that is another trigger. So, yes, I'm very happy that we're going into the Christmas period. Well, everyone having hopefully a nice time. But my fear is that we will see more deaths by the end of the year. And I fervently hope not. But Mm. that is the trend that we've seen. And I think that that's just going to highlight the continuing problem that absolutely needs to be tackled. There was another one this week. A woman was stabbed at the zoo. You know, how can women feel safe anymore, really, without being hysterical about it? But it, it's uh, it's ubiquitous. That sometimes it's random and anonymous. So that is our wrap for Motive Method 2023. Some of the big cases and issues we've talked about and some of the things that Tim and I will ultimately be discussing uh, for you going into 2024. So thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure to create these podcasts this year. And Tim and I have had a really interesting time and we hope that you've enjoyed them. And that's it for the year. So hope to have you back with us in 2024. I'm Dr. Xanthi Mallet. And may I add to that, thank you for all the lovely constructive feedback we've received over the year. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed this process. I hope it's been educational and informative. And as we said at the beginning, non-salacious. So thank you for your involvement. I wish you all a happy Christmas and I wish you a happy new year. And uh, over and out from Tim Watson Munro. Thank you very much. Goodbye.